You're listening to audio from Highland Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. To find out more about Highland, go to www.hbcwaco.org. Good morning to all of you. We're beginning a brand new series this morning. Seems like just the right time of year to do this called Restore to Me. We're talking about starting over, what that looks like to, to start over in life. And let me just say this, restoration and renewal in your life or starting over or pushing the reset button, it doesn't start with you. It starts with the character of God. Uh, let me say that again because I think we live in a time where we think everything starts and stops with us. So let me repeat this again. Restoration or restarting something in your life or pressing that reset button in your life, it does not start with you. It starts with the character of God. We live even in a church culture now where we overestimate our power and we underestimate God's power. We live in a time where we have deified man and we have humanized God. And that is a dangerous, powerless way to live the Christian life. This morning, let me just ask you this question as we begin a five-week series on starting over and restoration. Now, here's the question I have for you. What, what needs to be restored in your life? Would you just consider that for a moment in your own mind, your own heart? Just kind of draw a circle around your chair and ask yourself that question. What, what needs to be restored in my life? Where do I need to press the restart button, the reset button? What needs awakening? What needs renewal in my own life? And maybe you're thinking of a long list of things and maybe you're struggling coming up with that answer. Where do I need restoration? So let me give you a few thoughts maybe this morning. You see on the screen behind me a list that I came up with. Maybe you need to have your joy restored. That joy that you once had that just had so much confidence in the goodness and the kindness and the sovereignty of God, that, that joy that you once held on to, that joy that once held you is gone. And you need that restored. There was once a joy in your countenance, in your attitude, maybe even a, a joy on your face, a joy in your smile, and you understand that that joy was yesterday. Or maybe freedom Maybe you need your freedom restored. You once walked in freedom before the addiction set hold. Before you began to embrace a stronghold that you just cannot shake. Maybe that's where you need restoration today, this, this week, this year. Maybe it's your walk with Jesus that needs to be restored. You once had a walk with him. It was a dynamic walk, like you would... You would set aside time every day to know him, to abide in him. And you grew so busy or so apathetic. And that walk that was once so close to him just seems like this faint memory of years ago. Maybe you need your marriage restored because your marriage just feels like one big struggle of frustration and bitterness, and unforgiveness, and unfaithfulness, and cheating, and jealousy. And maybe that's what you need God to restore 
this very week is a marriage that rightly reflects the gospel of Jesus. Maybe it's self-control or, or disciplined. You no longer have that discipline in, in your life. And something else, maybe it's someone else that's controlling you. You're powerless to say no. Or again, maybe you've just grown so apathetic that you no longer care about the disciplines in your life, the self-control in your life. Maybe you need your purity restored because you've crossed so many lines sexually. The addiction to pornography is gripping. And maybe this is where you need restoration. You've seen more than you ever wanted to see and you've done more than you've ever imagined. And deep in your heart this morning, there's a desire to just be restored in purity and holiness. Maybe it's a relationship with, with a friend or a coworker, a, a neighbor, someone maybe here, here in the church. You've hurt them or they've hurt you and that relationship, that friendship in your life is, is broken and you're desiring to just start over to restore that relationship. Maybe it's specifically a mom or a dad or a son or a daughter. Maybe things were done or said emotionally or verbally. And you long to have a relationship restored with your parents or parents with your children. Maybe it's not a, a tragic event. Maybe it's just that the busyness of life has separated the two of you. Maybe you need to be restored in grace or in patience because you've, you've grown graceless toward others. You've just grown so impatient toward those who, who differ from you or so impatient for that person who just resides on your last nerve. And you understand the gracelessness of your heart. And you want God to restore to you grace and patience toward others. Maybe it's godly wisdom. You once practiced it. You once always went back to scripture to see how this decision might line up with God's word or you would go to, to godly counsel, but not anymore. Now you're not practicing godly wisdom. You're practicing human wisdom instead, worldly wisdom instead. And it's left you with a lot of baggage and consequences. And as you consider this morning, you just want godly wisdom restored in your life. What needs to be restored in your heart? Would you go with me, please, to the Old Testament book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter six. And let's go to verse one together. If you've grown up in church, you've been around scripture as a, as a kid, I imagine you have heard this passage before, but let's see it this morning in view of, in light of our desire to have some things in our lives restored, some, some chapters in our life. We just want to start over. We want to push the reset button. So let's go to Isaiah chapter six and Begin in verse one. If you're kind of new to church, if you'll just open your Bible to the very middle, you should be close to the book of Psalms and just head to the right. Psalms, Proverbs, Song of Sol Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, you come to the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter six, verse one. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon the throne. Now, Uzziah had been the king of Israel for 52 years. So everything's about to change. 
this king dying of leprosy had informed Israel for 52 years. And now he has died. Now he has left the throne. Certainly there was uncertainty. And maybe even some fear of of what is next. What is going to happen? But I love this. Isaiah, he looks up. And even though everything's about to change, God is still enthroned as the sovereign king of the universe. Israel's king dies, but Israel's God lives on. And he finds great comfort in that. But let me step away for just a second and tell you something that has nothing to do with this sermon. This might be a good word for us today. Presidents ascend and descend. Political parties rise and fall like the waves on the ocean. Cultures and empires and preferences and courts and opinions. They go up and down as much as the thermometer in a Texas January. But God is ever constant, ever sure. Jesus remains the same yesterday, today, and forever. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord and he was sitting upon a throne. He was not pacing back and forth, wringing his hands. The palms of God do not sweat. He is not surprised. He is not overwhelmed because he rules the universe with his feet up. And nothing stretches him nor nothing stresses him. Isaiah looks up and he sees the Lord. Isaiah chapter six, verse one, the second half, he is high and lifted up even in heaven. His throne, his position, his authority is high and lifted up. His perfection is so prime. He is so flawless that even his throne is above all the beauty and all the virtue and all the holiness of heaven. And the train of his robe filled the temple. The, the train is a, is a symbol of, of honor and, and splendor. You've been to a wedding before. When, when the bride comes down the aisle and she has the train and the poor bridesmaids are trying to help and doing, the, I'm not even sure that's called, they flick it, they, they fluff it, whatever they're, they're doing with that, with that train, trying to make it look nice or nicer or be in place and not trip over it themselves. You, you've seen that, that that train is a picture of splendor and, and honor. It was almost nine years ago that, that Prince William and, and Kate Middleton got married. My wife, God love her, loves these, these things. She, she lives for these these big royal weddings with well, a time difference in April um, meant that she had to get up at 4.30 a.m. to watch Williams and, and Kate's wedding in, in London. So here's my wife. Gosh, I love my wife. She, she invites all of her girlfriends over and my daughter, she wakes my daughter up who I guess was 11 years old, 12 years old at the time. My daughter brings all of her friends over and my wife serves English tea, and I always want to call them trumpets. Is it crumpets? I think crumpets. She, she serves like this English breakfast at 4.30 in the morning to, to watch this thing. And she, she asks me if I'd like to join them to watch the, the royal wedding. And I was like, babe, the, 
the Revolutionary War victory of 1783 frees me up from having to watch this. No, I'm not going to, to watch this, this wedding. But when Kate comes out, her train is 110 inches. That's over nine feet. Queen Elizabeth II, at her coronation back in 1953, the train of her robe was 20 feet. But the train of God's robe fills the temple. This was not the temple in Jerusalem. This is God's temple. How big is God's temple? Well, I don't know exactly, but it's large enough that every Christ follower, past, present, and future, can fit in there. Revelation chapter 3, verse 12. And the enormity of this structure is filled up with the train of his robe. He fills it. What splendor, what holiness, what honor. You know, let's be honest. Somewhere down the line, we have forgotten the high and lifted character of God, the nature of God that is unprecedented and unparalleled. We long so much to draw near to his comfort that we have forgotten the transcendent nature of his holiness and his majesty. Isaiah chapter six, verse two. And above God stood the, the seraphim or the seraphim. It, it comes from the root word Sarah, which means the burning ones. So these are these crazy creatures in heaven who are a fire, who are a glow, who are a blaze. And so these, these, these burning ones each had six wings and with two he covered his face and the two wings he covered his feet and with two he flew. Two wings covering his eyes so that he would not look into the direct radiance and the glory of God. Even though these seraphim themselves are burning, that the glory of God is brighter still. And so they, they cover their eyes with their wings. They, they hide their faces from the greater glory of God. And then with two wings that they cover their feet. Most theologians believe this is a picture of them covering themselves. Not only they cannot see God, but they will not be seen by God. And two wings to obey his bidding. Always serving, never seen. These glorious, fiery creatures in heaven. Look what's, what's happening. They're, they're calling out to one another. They're crying out to one another. And here's what they're saying to one another. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. They're calling out, they're crying out in this antiphonal chorus, going back and forth. And what are they saying? Holy, holy, holy. In, in Hebrew, repetition like that means force. It means weight. But we do the same here in English. We, we talk about a storm. If it's a huge storm, we'll go, that was a storm storm. It's the same in Hebrew. It was, he's a holy, holy, holy God. And they're crying this out to one another as they fly ablaze around the throne of God. Now we throw out that term, the holiness of God or God's holiness. I throw it out way too often. We've heard it so many times that it just kind of becomes one more word we sing in the song. So let me very quickly define for you, for you to remember and maybe even write down in your Bible. Here's what God's holiness is. It is the pure otherness, the distinct perfection, the separate preeminence of God. Do you see the word holy really means a, a separateness. 
So you have the pure otherness, the distinct perfection, the separate preeminence or the separate sovereignty or the separate primacy of God that he is above all things. This is why scripture often asks that question, who is like our God? And the answer is no one. Oh, you're looking a little sleepy. Why don't you turn to your neighbor and say, no one is like our God. Just turn to a neighbor and say, no one's like our God. All right, another neighbor. No one is like our God. All right. Perhaps more awake. Isaiah chapter six, verse three. Instead, they're calling back and forth to one another. They're saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. There is no place you can go where we do not see the existence of God's majesty and power. There is no place you can go that doesn't declare the reality of God. Everything that is seen shouts out the existence and the power of our creator. The whole earth is filled with his glory. I love this. And the foundations of the thresholds of God's temple shook at the voice of him who called. And the house, the temple, the presence around him was filled with smoke. This is the voices of the seraphim. Their voices so loud, volume so amplified that God's temple which I can only assume did not have foundational problems nor architectural weaknesses, began to shake. And then the presence, that's the smoke, the presence of God filled the house. Isaiah 6, 5. And I said, woe is me. Isaiah has just encountered the weighted glory of God. A glimpse of his majesty. An ounce of his holiness. And he's undone. Woe is me. For I'm lost. For I'm a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And light in view of the holiness, the majesty, the splendor, the honor of God himself. Isaiah's first response is brokenness. If you're here today and there's some things in your life that need restoration, consider this with me, please. Restoration starts with brokenness. Isaiah is broken. He's undone. I'm undone. Woe is me. I'm lost. I have unclean lips. I, I live with people who have unclean lips. I've seen the king. My eyes have seen the king, the, the Yahweh, the, the Lord of hosts, the Yahweh of the angel armies. Restoration starts with brokenness. And listen, Highland, brokenness is not a bad thing. 
A farmer does not plant seeds into cement. He breaks the soil and then plants the seed. Soil that is broken produces good crops. It produces an abundant crop, an abundant harvest. Soil that is not broken will not yield life. A a butterfly breaks the cocoon to fly. An eaglet breaks the shell to spread its wings. Even Jesus, when he fed the 5,000, he broke the bread. When the woman of sin poured the costly perfume upon the feet of Jesus, she first had to break the alabaster box. God, in his desire to reconcile sinful humanity to holy God, had to break down the wall that existed between himself and us. The only reason, Christian, you have salvation is because of the broken body of Jesus. Restoration begins with brokenness. We'd like to skip to step number two. But if there's something in your life that needs restoration, a chapter in your life, a place in your heart that just needs to press the restart, reset button, it's gonna begin with brokenness. Let me add this thought to it. Restoration starts with brokenness. What you are not broken over will just remain the same and then deepen. What you're not broken over will stay the same in 2020 and will intensify and will worsen and will grow deeper still. So if you're not broken over the self-centeredness in your marriage, if you're not broken on how self-centered you are in your marriage, your marriage will stay stagnant and it will continue to decline. If you're not broken over your addiction to sexual sin, to pornography, to alcohol, to overeating, to illegal drugs, if you're not broken over that, it'll it'll remain the same this year. But the grip of that addiction will only tighten. It'll only intensify. If you're not broken over your joylessness, I'm not talking about clinical depression, I'm I'm talking about joylessness that is produced by grieving the Holy Spirit. You will remain joyless this year. And I would even say you will increase in self-pity and despair in the year ahead. If you're not broken over your joylessness, if you're not broken over a grudge that you have towards someone else, a spirit of unforgiveness you have toward another, toward a friend, toward an ex, toward a coworker. That grudge turns into bitterness. And listen, friends, carefully. That bitterness will permeate every relationship in your life. If you refuse to forgive and you hold on to unforgiveness and you hold on to that grudge, it'll permeate every area of your life. If you're not broken of your lack of grace or your lack of patience towards someone else, you will grow in gracelessness this year. 
transport more and more people and more and more situations to a place that you will find yourself so isolated and so disconnected and so detached because you never distribute grace and never consider patience toward another. If you're not broken over your unwillingness to walk in godly wisdom, then your poor choices, your poor decisions will continue to multiply and those consequences will intensify even more so. But lastly, please hear this. If you're not broken over your ignored walk with Jesus, then there'll be more and more days and more and more priorities and more and more passions that take the place of your walk with your Savior. Restoration begins with brokenness. But if you're not broken, just expect this year to be the same as last year, except only intensified in the consequences of our failures. It's heavy in this room right now. So let's turn to the grace of God. In this passage, Isaiah chapter six, verse six, then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar, and he touched my mouth, the very thing I was broken over, the very place where I needed restoration, he touched my filthy mouth, and he said, behold, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. It was a foreshadowing of the cross, of an agonizing death, of the Son of God, sent from the altar of God to forgive us. So what does this mean? What does this say to us? Here's what you might want to consider. Our brokenness and our need and restoration are more than met with the inexhaustible grace and the abounding love of Jesus. So if you're here today and you're feeling the weight of failures. You're here today and you're feeling the weight of all of these things in your lives, in your relationships, in your finances, in your heart, in your mind that must be restored, that must be made new. You need to understand that every desire you have for restoration, it is more than supplied by the grace of Jesus Christ. More than supplied. See, the cross says that grace is greater than our sin. Your sins, my sins, though they are many, his mercy is more. Would you stand with me, please? These next several weeks, we're gonna talk about restoration, that what needs to be renewed restored in your life. Now, here's the first thing that we looked at this morning. Restore to me, starting over. Here's the very first thing. Restoration begins with brokenness over our failures in light of the holiness of God. So I'll say it again. Restoration does not start with you. It starts with the character of God. 
So how do we respond, not in light of this message, but in light of the holiness of God, how do you respond to this? Here's what I would say, come and weep at the altar today. Come and kneel before a holy God. Come and confess your sin to him. And for those who are brave enough to do so, Ask God to break your heart for what breaks his. And fall on the grace that first brought you to him. Would you bow your head and your heart with me, please, as we pray? God, we feel the words of Isaiah. We're broken. My mouth is filthy. My mind is filthy. I live in a filthy culture, influenced by filthy people. Woe is me. I'm undone, I'm broken. And God, what is not broken in us will not be restored in us. sin is the same as grace. It's a multiplier. It grows. It moves. So God, today I pray that we would come and be broken, that we would weep over our sin, that we would confess our failures to you. We failed you. And help us to fall in that grace that we see in the agonizing death of the one sent from your holy temple, Jesus the Christ. It's in that name that we pray.